Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast. I guess you already know that since you're already here. Is this like when you call someone and you get their voicemail and they've left their phone number in the voicemail telling you've reached a certain phone number and you're like, I know that because I called you. So, so I apologize. You already know where you are. But for anybody out there who clicked on this accidentally, I'm Dr. Abby Metcalf. I'm your host. And this is episode 68. You are listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with Dr. Abby Metcalf. Change your relationship even if your partner won't do a thing. We are so going to get to 100 before you know it. It's very exciting. Uh, Today is all about how to stop being distracted. And I'm going to teach you why it's so important. It is literally the most important thing in your life. Your happiness depends on your ability to resist urges And that means that you can't be distracted. And I'm going to explain that today. So before we jump in, I want folks to know that I'm very excited to announce that my book is on Audible. And uh, it's been on there about a month now, but I realized I didn't tell anybody. So it's harder to know, isn't it, if I don't tell you that the telepathy is not working. So yeah, my book, Be Happily Married Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing, which is a number one Amazon bestseller. That's right in like three different categories I'm really proud of. And uh, yeah, that book is now on Audible. So you can get it and you can listen to it like you're listening to the podcast right now. Very exciting, I know. So I'm really proud of it. And uh, it's helped a lot of people. And I know it can help you, but you can jump on Amazon and also I'll link to it in today's show notes. And you can also read the reviews if you're not sure if it's just me saying how great my book is. (laughs) There's actually other people who say it. Uh, And if you like the book, I would love for you to please leave a review. Um, And uh, there you have it. So uh, I'm going to jump in now and I'm going to jump in by first telling you a story about myself that um, will make you laugh at me. And you know, I enjoy laughing at myself. So uh, 
here, this is a true story. True story of me leaving the house for work. If if you get my weekly newsletter, and I don't know why you don't. If you don't yet, you should. Um, <laughs> you you've kind of heard this story, but you know, bear with me because it's important for today's talk. So basically, I was going to do a talk, so I was actually leaving for the airport. And, you know, I grabbed my keys and my phone and my bag and my thermos and all my little stuff. I actually didn't take the thermos because I was going to the airport, but you, you get the idea. And, um, you know, I go around, I, I lock all the locks, I walk outside to get to my car. And as my feet hit the concrete, I'm aware that something is off. You know, as I'm kind of walking out, my feet are hitting the concrete. I'm aware something is off. You know, something doesn't seem right. And I walk another few steps and then it hits me. I don't hear the normal clickety-clack of my stilettos on the pavement because you know me, I'm always wearing my stilettos. And I look down, I see I'm all dressed up. You know, I'm going to go do this great talk. I'm going to jump on a flight. I look down and I'm wearing my slippers, my little house shoes. (laughs) So yes, (laughs) which do not have heels. (sighs) So with a self-deprecating smack on my forehead, I proceed to go back inside. Well, go back. Uh, to my door, unlock all the locks, go back inside my house. I stride resolutely into my house and realize I have no idea why I'm there. Yeah. Why did I walk back in the house? I am like whacking my brain (laughs) and get no answers. I start to wander aimlessly around all the rooms, hoping something will jog my memory. Nothing. I even, you know, pick up some random objects. (laughs) I open the refrigerator door. Everything hoping that something will ring a bell. No, not a zilch, zale, nun, nothing. Okay, nothing. So I'm like, okay, now I'm starting to run a little late, right? I got to get to the airport. So I kind of shake my head a little. I figured it, you know, must not have been that important, right? Whatever it was. So I walk outside, I lock all the locks, I grab all my stuff. You know, I walk back out to get to my car and yeah, you know, bam, right? My second, my feet hit the pavement (laughs) and I don't hear that clickety clack noise. I remember I need to go put on some shoes. That is why I walked in the house. So you can cue to me, you know, cursing very loudly, stomping back in, I'm berating myself, I'm such an idiot, you know, blah, blah, blah. And here's the really funny thing. Uh, (laughs) And you can stop laughing at me if you're over 40 listening. You've done the same thing probably earlier today. But anyway, um, the really funny thing is I was on my way to do a corporate training on mindfulness. (laughs) Isn't that great? So needless to say, I had them rolling in the aisles when I opened with this story. And, you know, (laughs) it's... It's important because it, you know, I tell the story because it lets people know that even when you are mindful, even, you know, I meditate every day and I I practice mindfulness. I do. I really do practice what I preach and I still get distracted. I still get caught up in stuff. Right now, the good news is that I was alone that morning. Right. Kids are gone. Gary's gone. You know, there's no one in the house. So no one was injured in my distracted morning, unless you count my bruised ego. But 
if you insert people into the scenario, you get a very different result. So you can imagine it's the same morning of distraction. I'm not clearly paying super good attention. And maybe my partner reminds me innocently that, you know, oh, uh, hey, babe, we committed to a, don't forget we have that dinner tomorrow with, you know, two of our friends, right? And you're supposed to bring, we're doing a potluck and you're supposed to bring a side dish and, you know, dessert. You promised you were going to do that. And in my distracted state, so here I am, you know, not really paying close attention. I didn't even remember to put on friggin' shoes twice. Uh, <laughs> in my distracted state, I'm thinking how busy I am, all the things I have to do. And now I'm pissed. And I'm pissed at myself, really, for overcommitting. And I end up snapping at him. Uh, because I'm looking for someone else to blame or I'm just feeling frustrated and a little overwhelmed. So I, you know, you take out those feelings on other people and I do all this without even realizing what's happening. So maybe I snap back and like, oh, I don't know why we said yes to that. You know, these are your friends and I don't know what I might say. And then, you know, he would likely get upset. He might say something like, hey, don't blame me, right? You're the one who said yes to this. I actually warned you at the time that you were taking on too much. This does happen. I can't, we've actually never had this fight, but <laughs> but <laughs> there's definitely lots of times that I overcommit to things. I know you're all shocked to hear this. And that, uh, especially with food, you all know I love to cook and I love, I, I just really enjoy loving up the people in my life with food. And, but I tend to overcommit with food. And that means that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say that I'll bring like 10 items and, you know, really I, it was too much. Uh, so, <laughs> but this kind of thing happens. I'm sure you can relate. So, and then if that was going to happen, we would both end up leaving for our work days on a sour note. And it sucks. You have definitely had arguments with your partner in the morning. People listening right now, if you're in a relationship, and mornings are often a time when there's a lot of arguments, especially if there's kids, um, and there's rushing, and people are already thinking about all the things. It's all the things. And uh, that's the problem, is that you're not in that moment. So a lot of times we're even rushing our kids out the door when really this is a time, you know, I'm not going to see my kids all day. I don't, I don't rush them out the door. We take our time in the morning. I wake them up a little earlier. I do it. I do a separate episode on all this and I'm not going to sit here and preach about it. And it's not like I have perfect mornings. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not a perfect parent, but those mornings are the last time I'm going to see my kids for hours, hours and hours and hours all day. And I really try to make them wonderful. I, I do, you know, I try to wake them up slowly and give them lots of love. And also they're like kind of defenseless in bed. It's the best time if you have teenagers to like chew on them. Um, <laughs> they're so tired, they can't do anything. But you know, I always make breakfast and, you know, sit and talk to them while they're eating and um, really sort of hang out and make sure that they have everything they need before we're leaving because I take care of all my stuff before. But I digress. But actually, I don't digress, I guess, because this is this way that I'm not distracted. If I was also getting ready and making calls and doing whatever and reading or whatever, then I would be distracted as they were asking me things or as they needed things or whatever. And so instead, there's a sort of calm, calm time. So distraction and not paying full attention to your interactions is the cause for the vast majority of your arguments, your disconnections and your misunderstandings. I'm telling you right now that I'm telling you now, people think it's something bigger and it's not. It's this. So and one of the big problems is that 
our larger world, of course, is set up with distractions galore. So it's harder and harder to stay in the moment with our thoughts and feelings when there's so many distractions going on. Now, if you've been listening, you know that all month I've been teaching about how to be more mindful and self-aware. That's been this whole month of October, depending on when you're listening to this, this is all coming out in October. All I've been talking about is all the mindfulness and self-awareness. So And these are all, of course, mental tactics you need to incorporate. And they're great, but we can't leave out an important element, which is your physical environment. And so today we're going to be focusing on your environment and setting yourself up for success physically so those mental tools will be easier to remember and implement, right? You need both. You really do. If you're just always fighting against your physical environment, it's really hard. Now, having your home and work worlds organized and calm is definitely... Uh, one area that I'd like to put a pin in for now. (laughs) So it's hugely important. If you think about it, it's very easy to be distracted when you can't find your keys and you can't, when the reason you can't find your keys is because you're distracted in the first place when you set them down. You weren't, think of that. If anybody listening has ever misplaced anything, ever, (laughs) you were distracted. (laughs) That's the point of it. You're not in your moment. You're not focusing and so, you know, you get distracted. And I'll tell you something really funny. I do things where I, I hide stuff. Um, you know, I squirrel away money or I whatever, you know, I, I hide little things and or food from my kids or because <laughs> I want to eat it um, or whatever it is. And then I forget where I hit it. I hit it so well, I, I can't remember. And so, and I actually have to keep notes on this. Um, I use Evernote, by the way, which I love. But anyway, uh, and they're not, they're not paying me for this uh, shout out. So there you go. Uh, but I actually have to write it down because uh, because it's easy to be distracted. You think you're sort of remembering. You're like, oh, I'm going to put this here. But you really have to create a real memory. And it's funny, just be just by writing it down in Evernote where, I, where I've left it, where I've squirreled something away, I almost never have to look in Evernote because that act becomes so mindful that I then remember, right? However, if I don't write it down, it's usually because I wasn't being mindful and then I forget. Uh, it's kind of fun, though, to find chocolate or money <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm looking through stuff. So um, uh, I will say that's kind of a you know, neat thing. But anyway, uh, let me, let, but let me, now I really am digressing. So having that, you know, your home world or your work world organized, knowing where things are on your desk and where things, you know, where you've left things, all that is obviously going to really help you be mindful and not distracted with your partner. But there's another thing I want to focus on. And that another way that another thing that's distracting you all the time. And so and that is the one that you're probably thinking of anyway, which is the electronic distractions in your life. So that's what we're going to focus on today. And specifically, I'm going to talk really about your lovely smartphone and social media. And, you know, before we go anywhere, I'm, I'm, this is not a broadcast about, you know, getting rid of your smartphone or never being on social media. This is not about that. Uh, But I do want to give you uh, some good information. And obviously, I'm always going to give you tips. So I'm going to give you, uh, I think it's my top five tips today for dealing with these things to really move the needle so that you're not distracted, so, so distracted by them. So, Okay. But first, I'm going to talk about, um, I call this from, from a Harvard lab to a Vegas casino. You ready? So, <laughs> so 
I want I want to talk to you first about operant conditioning, and because that's what's going to help you understand all this distraction. Now, uh, and most of you have heard of it in the 1940s into the 50s. Uh, B.F. Skinner uh, famously developed his theories on operant conditioning and behaviorism. He was, <clears throat> excuse me, at Harvard. I've heard that's a pretty good school. Um, so his theory was that our behavior is determined by the consequences that we have in our lives, either reinforcements for them or punishments. Okay, so like a positive reinforcement of some some kind or a punishment that something was was reinforcing our behavior and and that's the reason we do that behavior. So, and these consequences would make it more or less likely that the behavior would keep happening, that it would occur again, right? So depending on what that was. And his studies, and obviously there's been so much research subsequent to his original studies that uh, kind of prove his theory, but uh, he, what he, all his studies showed that intermittent reinforcement, which I'm going to explain in a minute, is the most powerful powerful in uh, consequence or reinforcement. It's it, intermittently. That's the big one. And it, it's, it's the one that when you have it, if you want to get someone to do something, this is what you use. Let me just say that. <laughs> if you want to ensure that someone's going to do what you want, this is what you use. And so I'm going to explain to you in a very easy way, which is I want you to picture your dog begging for food at your dinner table. Now, if you never gave your dog food at the table, ever, and I mean ever, your dog would eventually give up and stop coming to the table. Even retrievers, I don't care what kind of dog you have, it's the truth of it. The And I hear people say this, oh no, we never give them food. I'm like, are you sure, never? <laughs> and it's just that they don't give food often. And, but so if you never gave food to your dog, they would not, they'd just stop coming. There's no reason to sit there. So they would stop doing it. They would get that there's no food there. They would stop begging. Now, here's what's interesting. If you always gave your dog a little food, like every time you sat to dinner, you sat to eat, you always reached down and gave your dog some nibbles, you're, this is called continuous reinforcement. This means that it sort of always happens. And this, by the way, is something you use to to create a behavior, but it's not what you do to keep the behavior. Um, but if you always give your dog food, they will, they'll come to the table. They will. Well, although it's interesting, if they always know there's food, there's sometimes that they won't. Because if they're not, if they're not hungry, and believe it or not, some dogs are not always hungry, <laughs> but they won't always come to the table. But even if they do, like every day, they're like, oh, I always get food. I'm going to walk over, you know, to my person and I'm going to have some food. But they'll, they pretty much just get the food and then sit. They're, they're not, they're not super anxious about it because they know it's coming. So they just sort of hang out and they're pretty mellow around it. Now, the biggie is if, if you give your dog food sometimes, but not all the time. So this is intermittently. This is this intermittent reinforcement. So if, and it doesn't matter how often, that's the thing. So that's why I have people say, well, we never give the dog food at the table and he's always begging. And I'm like, are you sure it's never? And they'll say, well, rarely, you know, rarely, that's enough. That's enough to get your dog begging. And not only is it enough, it's the thing that'll make them beg more than ever. So if you give your dog food occasionally at the table, like once a week or once a month or whatever, or every other meal or whatever it is, 
that dog will beg long and hard, hard. (laughs) He'll be the most annoying dog to ever come near your dinner table because it's the intermittent reward that's the most powerful. It's because we don't know when we're getting it. So we're really excited for the reward in a whole new way. It lights up different sections of the brain. And in his lab, Skinner found that if pigeons, for example, were given food every time, they like every time they pecked a button, they would definitely peck that button. They'd peck the button a lot. But if they were only sometimes given food when they pecked the button, when they were pecking on the button, they not only pecked a lot more, but they were frantic and compulsive about it. These were nutty penguins pecking at this button. They would go crazy. And then I think of my son, you know, opening the refrigerator door, searching for food 10 times a day and standing there staring in the fridge. Uh, (laughs) And I realize, I'm like, I haven't left the house, Max. I I didn't go grocery shop. There's nothing different in that refrigerator. But of course, to him, uh, yes, certainly in that day, he opens it 10 times and there's nothing new. But if I go grocery shopping at some point in the day or that night or whatever, uh, you know, to him, it's magical, right? The food just shows up in there or in the cabinet. Like we we have that special cabinet where the fun food is. I'm sure you do too. (laughs) Um, You know, go in that cabinet. And they'll go over and over and over in the same day. And it realized when I was uh, writing this up, I noticed him doing this and I thought, oh, that's intermittent reinforcement. (laughs) Sometimes there's new groceries in there. Sometimes there's new food in there. And so he just keeps going back. But of course, when he's doing it, I'm like, Max, there's nothing different in the fridge. Stop, stop standing there with it open. Uh, And I'm sure you've done that at your house, but there you go. Intermittent reinforcement. So So Skinner's research found that these intermittent reinforcements are also the hardest to extinguish. So again, if you give your dog food occasionally at the table, every now and then intermittently, that's that behavior will persist long after you stop giving the reward. Like, so if you then say, we are not giving food at the table anymore, we're really sticking to this. It'll take a long time for the dog to stop begging at the table, much longer than if you had given them food even every day. I know it's crazy, right? But that that's how this works. That's how our little brain works. So, and I was reading something recently. I love this when I was researching this and I apologize because I don't remember the author. So I'm sorry. I just want to make sure you're clear. It's not me. Um, so I apologize. If you're the one who wrote this, please, and you're listening, please let me know and I'll give you a shout out next broadcast. Um, but <laughs> this author said, it could be argued that Skinner's Pigeon Lab was resurrected at Harvard in 2004 with two modifications. It was called Facebook and it didn't use pigeons. <laughs> and I loved this quote. I was like, oh my, I, I can't believe I loved it so much that I forgot to write his name. Sorry. Um, do you love that? Because later at Harvard, right, that's where Facebook got created. So all this intermittent reinforcement I just talked about is the science used behind things like slot machines, Chuck E. Cheese, which is basically Las Vegas for toddlers, right? Um, Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And Facebook and all the social media. Gambling is addictive. The reason you go to those slot machines, you know, and gamble in general, gambling is addictive because you don't know how many bets you have to make before you win. So it's that same thing. It's intermittent reinforcement. Uh, so you you sometimes can be, quote unquote, on a roll and win a lot. and uh, But you'd never win every single hand or every single time you pull the lever. No one does. So it's it's intermittent. Um, it's all. So and again, it's the science behind all social media apps, all, uh, all social media, all apps, all advertising, all of it is based on this intermittent reinforcement. And the fact that you can access all these things on a little phone you carry around, that's what adds up to trouble. There's a, um, Dr. David Greenfield is an addiction technology expert. um, And he says, smartphones are basically slot machines that we keep in our pockets. I like that. I know. So your cell phone (laughs) is basically a slot machine that you keep in your pocket. And 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 here's the big problem. So every time you get a text, a social media update, a like, a follow, or any other notification, like that you got, you know, an email or anything, your brain sees this as a reward. One of these things happen, you get a dopamine release. And dopamine controls the pleasure centers of your brain. Now, I've talked about dopamine a lot. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter when it's in your brain. It's a hormone when it's working in your body. Um, But we're talking about it as a neurotransmitter, as a chemical messenger in your brain. And it controls the pleasure centers of your brain. It is what's important to know is that our brain drives for dopamine. Our brain assumes that anything related to dopamine is helping us survive. And I, I can't get all into that right here because um, of the time. I don't want to be on a four-hour podcast, but but just believe me on this and uh, it's, it's real. So because your brain drives for dopamine and that's why everything is always geared to try to get dopamine to release because when, when it does, we know that your brain will, will keep wanting that and will keep driving for it. And I've also talked about how your brain has like a kind of a one potato chip mentality when you eat a potato chip, if you eat one potato chip, what do you want? More potato chips, right? You want the whole bag. I don't even like potato chips. I start eating those things. I'm like, ooh, these are crunchy, salty goodness, right? I, I want to keep eating them. And this is the way dopamine acts in your brain. It's like one potato chip. If you have a little dopamine, your brain wants the whole bag. And so uh, every advertiser, marketer, <laughs> anybody who wants you, you know, it, near their stuff, it knows this and is trying to get dopamine to release in your brain. So, because whenever dopamine is released, it makes you feel good, right? You feel good and you want more of whatever's giving you that dopamine boost. And this is why, you know, you keep eating, you want more sex and why you stay on social media platforms, basically. So you, and you have been there. I know you have, you've said to yourself, I'm just going to answer this text or I'm just going to, you know, check real quick to see if John emailed me. 
or, you know, hey, I've got a couple minutes. I'll just look at my Instagram, you know. Um, and next thing you know, it's been 20 minutes down the rabbit hole of texting or scrolling. And you're, you're trapped in a dopamine loop and you don't realize it. That's what's happening right there. That's why it's so hard to pull away. That's why it's so hard, even like watching TV. I, you know, I don't really watch TV uh, very much. And when I do, I notice it's hard for me to stop. It's hard for me to pull myself away. And that's why binge watching things on Netflix or whatever. It's once you get in that dopamine loop, it is really tough to pull out of it. So it's always better not to start something. But we're going to talk about that. So and why are we so vulnerable to all this in the first place? Again, it's because our brain drives for it. It's and as humans, uh, it, it also, our brain wants this dopamine, but we have other needs and wants also. Again, really related to the fact that, you know, evolutionary wise, we have not evolved very much from the time we start walking this planet, right? So, you know, if you think about the earth being 4 billion, I think three and a half, right? To 4 billion years old, billion. <laughs> and if you think of Homo sapiens, you know, last couple million years, right? Or, and even, I mean, my gosh, even think the last 200,000 years, if you really want to get closer to how we look and feel today, if you're talking 4 billion to 200,000, <laughs> it's really, even to 2 million, it's a drop in the bucket, bucket, drop in the bucket. So, so that's why so much of our brain chemistry is really geared for when we were, you know, living like hunting and gathering and doing all that, right? So, our brains are vulnerable to a lot of what's happening in the world right now. You know, a lot of the, again, the advertising and the way how sophisticated it's become. So, and as humans, we have a fundamental need, fundamental to belong. And we have a fundamental desire for social status. We do. And and because of this, our brains treat information about ourselves like a reward. Isn't this interesting? So when you get information about yourself, your brain sees it as a reward because of this drive to belong and this desire for social status. And in a very simple way, you can just realize that, you know, if you were living in the clan 200,000 years ago and you didn't belong and no one liked you and we threw you out, you were going to die. It wasn't like, and I just mean die. It wasn't like, oh, I'll go live somewhere else and I'll go build another home and get, no, you were just going to die. There, there was no chance of survival, none, zero, zots. So when you think of that, you get why it's so ingrained in us to want to belong and this desire for social status, to want to be liked, to be followed. You know, those words are very purposeful in social media. So social media platforms hook you because they have a self-relevant, they have self-relevant information that connects directly to this idea of social status and your reputation, right? This self-relevant information, again, is a reward. It's a reward. That's how our brain sees it. And we get in that dopamine loop. So we're wired to be especially sensitive to information relating to our reputation and our social ranking. And I don't know, that's all that, you know, that's all that social media is. <laughs> Followers, likes, comments, in you know, all engagement, all that. So when you check your Facebook or your Instagram feed, you can't predict whether or not someone left you some 
self-relevant information, right? You can't predict it. So social networking sites are just like those slot machines. But instead of giving you coins, you pull the lever for self-relevant information is really what you're doing. You're, you're finding something that's telling you something about your status and your belonging. Now, if you always play this like a willpower game, you are going to lose and you're going to lose big app. Not almost, I think every, let's say almost every app on your phone has been expertly engineered by designers skilled in manipulating brain chemistry to elicit very specific addictive behaviors. Okay. So if you're playing a willpower game, well, I'm just not going to look at my face, but you know, I'm just going to nod. I'm whatever. That'll work very briefly, but not for long. And you know, cause you've tried it, it hasn't worked. So, and if you, to really drive this home, I want you to hear this. So Instagram created a code that deliberately holds back on showing you new likes so that it can deliver a bunch of them in like a sudden rush at, and here's the thing. It does it at, what it considers to be the most effective time possible, the most effective moment. And what's the most effective moment for something like Instagram? It's when the algorithm thinks you're going to uh, leave the app. So it'll show you all those likes. It'll, it'll give you that little burst uh, when you, it'll discourage you from closing the app. When it thinks that you're, oh, this person always stays on this amount of time. So here's where we're going to, and it gets better and better at it the more you use the platform. How do you like that? I know it's terrifying, but that that's how much they're about this. And if you're not scared, you're not listening. <laughs> so, and you know, haven't you ever wondered why all the social media platforms are free? I, I'm sure you have, but they're all free. And it's because they are paid very well and they're, they're right valued at billions of dollars, some of them, because of advertisers who are looking for your attention. So, so their job is to keep you on there so that advertisers can advertise to you. That's their job and they do it very well. So you have no, you have no doubt freaked out when you were secretly you know, searching the internet for sex toys and then you started getting sex toy advertisements in your Facebook feed. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> How do they know? Are they following me? Yeah, they are following you. They do know. And yes, I buy sex toys. No shame in my game. Um, <laughs> you should be buying sex toys too if you're not. So, but do you see what I'm talking about? Like, you know, you've had this where you even, uh, I've had the experience where uh, for some reason, you know, I'm scrolling or something and there's an ad and I don't even click on the ad, but because I've left it on my screen, like maybe I'm, I lift my head to talk to someone or I do something um, and then I come back. It, it, because it's been left there, like it knows the screen is up, it, I'll start seeing that ad a hundred times. It's like, what happened? You know, and it'll start showing up other places or that person will show up other places. I mean, it's crazy, right? And it's all because the, the end game of all of this is to sell you things. That's it is to sell you stuff so people can make money. Now, I'm not against people making money. I'm fine with that. I make money. I mean, it's fine, right? We all, everybody listening hopefully makes money. That's how you're in the world. It's just when I feel manipulated is when I feel different. So if, if I was sitting here and I, and I manipulated you into, I don't know, buying my book or doing something, um, or if I had the podcast and then, you know, 
oh, here's the five tips. Oh, but you have to pay for those, right? And I just talked about it. And then, you know, and I lied somehow and said, oh, I'm going to give you all this stuff. And then I don't. Um, that that That's not okay with me. <laughs> and so, and that's what a lot of this feels like. And that's why it's hard. So at the end of the day, all this distraction with tech adds up to distraction with yourself and your partner. That's what I really want you to hear. That So their job is to distract you. Their job is to sell you stuff. Their job is to keep you over there. And they get you in that dopamine loop to do it. So it impairs your relationships. Yourself, right? First, binge watching Netflix and not exercising per chance. Is that you? <laughs> Scrolling through your social media feed and not finishing your that Excel spreadsheet at work. I see you. you. That's your self-care, people. Any time, really, that you're spending, if you say you don't have time to exercise or that you, you know, if you're always rushing places, but you have any amount of time that you spend on social media or watching TV or binge watching something or any of that stuff, then, right, then it's taking you away from that. I mean, it is. It's not, it's okay. You know, hey, we all want to relax. We all want to do stuff. But there's there's some, you know, line there that gets crossed a lot. It impairs your relationship and your ability to connect with your partner, right? And because if you're in social media and you're deep down in it, and then your partner asks you a question, or if your partner's talking to you and you don't even hear them because you're sitting there scrolling through your feed because you're getting that dopamine hit and you actually almost feel annoyed that your partner or your kids or someone is quote unquote bugging you while you're having your downtime. Do you see the problem? (laughs) So that your relationships are absolutely impaired. I'm going to link here because I did do a, a separate uh, podcast on fubbing, which is when your uh, the phone is, you know, your uh, when your partner is, um, you know, like fubbing. It's it's when they're using their phone instead of talking to you, right? They're ignoring you with their phone. Um, so I do a whole podcast on that, and kind of I think I have seven top tips for how to deal with just that specific thing. So, but that's different than what I'm going to do today. But I'll link to it in the show notes in case you want to go check that out. But the last thing I want to say before I give the tips is that a, attention residue is a thing, and it's killing your ability to fully connect. And so this is the last thing I just kind of want to say before I jump into my tips. It's really quick, but all this social media and checking things creates something called attention residue. And it's killing you at home. It's killing you at work. It's killing you everywhere. And uh, a, a woman named Sophie Leroy, I think it's Leroy or it could be Leroy. So I apologize, Sophie. She's a business school professor at the University of Minnesota. And she studied um, a, a common problem we have at work, which is uh, multitasking or switching between tasks or task switching, however you want to call that, right? And so uh, she had a few studies that looked at switching between tasks, right? And and getting things done and being productive and at in work environments. And in her research, she found that people are less productive when they're constantly moving from one task to another instead of focusing on one thing at a time. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to quote her right now. She says that people need to stop thinking about one task in order to fully transition their attention and perform well in another. Yet results indicate it's difficult for people to transition their attention away from an unfinished task and their subsequent task performance suffers. 
So she calls this carryover from one task to another attention residue. And that and that term has been around for a while now and it's and it's a really important one. And she calls it attention residue because you're still thinking of whatever you were doing as you start something new. That's distraction, ladies and gentlemen. So and let me just say this. She found that even if you finish the first task completely, you still have some attention residue as you move into the next conversation or task or whatever. This means that you don't fully attend to the second task and you're less productive when when you've been switching. And even if, again, you finish that quick little thing. So at work, this shows up with, you know, if you're into something, you're working on that Excel sheet and an email pops up and you're like, oh, let me just take care of this. Let me answer this email really quick and then I'll come back. So even if you finish answering the email, uh, you're you're you have this attention residue. You're not as productive when you come back to to the Excel sheet. And if you don't answer the email and you're like, no, no, I see the notification, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay on task. Your part of your brain is worried about that and you're not as productive. So it, it goes both ways. This also happens, of course, when you're in a conversation with your partner. If you were if you're talking to your partner, and you're like, oh, let me just do this thing. Let me just let me just uh, put a load of laundry in. Let me just get to let me just answer this thing for the kids. Let me just um, finish this, you know, get reply to this email and then I'll talk to you. Let me just take this call and then we'll come back to this conversation. Any of those things, the same things applies. You have this attention residue and you're not fully attending. You're not fully there with your partner. Now, I'm not saying you have to be 100% present in the moment with your partner 100% of the time, but I am saying that a lot of your arguments, misunderstandings, your frustration, your resentment, all that stuff is because you are distracted and you're not fully attending. So this is up to you. You need to decide how important this is. And to me, there's nothing more important than your personal relationships. There's nothing. I, You know, you don't the people at work, if you die, they're going to miss you, but not like the people at home. (laughs) You know what I mean? And if you're sick and need some chicken soup, it's not likely your boss who's going to bring it to you. It's likely your partner who's going to handle those things. I mean, you know, really think about at the end of the day, what are the most important relationships in your life and who's getting the most of your energy and your attention? So, when you do this kind of switching around and multitasking and doing 50 things when you're driving the kids and you're, you know, whatever, and you're trying to talk to your partner about something uh, serious, it's not the time. Do not have these conversations in the car. It, when you're when you're driving, you're multitasking. I know you think you're not, but you have to attend to the road. So part of you is not in the conversation, not fully there. Now, some people do it because they're uncomfortable with the conversations. <laughs> they don't want to, you know, have their full attention there. They they have trouble with intimacy. They're struggling. But, uh, you know, this is when I say you got to put on your big boy, your big girl pants and start doing it differently, right? Got to start doing it differently. Okay. So it's time to get serious about focusing our attention on the people we love and who are important to us. It is time. So here are, and these are going to be relatively quick. These are my five, top five tips for being, to stop being distracted and to start connecting. Okay. And uh, they're they're all pretty short tips. So get ready. Oh, and I'm going to have a free uh, cheat sheet with all this on just one little sheet for you that you can download and you can uh, put up on the refrigerator or you can make wallpaper for your phone or whatever you want to do so that you remember these little tips. (laughs) And so you can uh, come on over to abbymetcalf.com forward slash podcast. This is episode 68 and you can just download your cheat sheet. Okay, so tip number one is you can take a test. 
I know. So, because here's my issue. People throw around the term addiction pretty indiscriminately these days, and it drives me a little crazy. So Dr. David Greenfield, who I mentioned before, he's the director of the Center for Internet and Technology Addiction, which is at the University of Connecticut School of Medicine. So it's a real thing. It's wonderful that we, it's a real thing. And he he is like the bomb diggity, Dr. Uh, Greenfield. He, he's kind of the really one of the top people in the world, probably, but definitely in the United States. And he says that the actual percentage of smartphone users who would be classified as truly addicted is somewhere between 10 and 12%. So it's not, you know, everybody like we kind of think. But he also says that about 90% of Americans, 90% fall in the category of overusing, misusing, or abusing their devices. So that's an important distinction. So you want to think about that. Now, so are you a smartphone addict? Are you? Well, he has actually developed something called the smartphone compulsion test, so you can know for sure. And uh, I'm going to link to it in my show notes. So again, abbymetcalf.com forward slash podcast. I will link to the test in the show notes. And uh, you can just click on that and take the test. It's I think it's 15 questions. And if you score a yes to five or more, it indicates that you likely have uh, and I'll quote, I'm quoting, a problematic or compulsive smartphone use pattern. Um, and I'm going to warn you that I'm not sure it's even possible to own a phone and to, <laughs> to score less than, much less than four. I scored four. How's that? My score was four. Um, and I, I was answering very honestly. It's, uh, but, you know, I could see where it could easily be five or six or seven, you know. Um, so I will warn you about that. But I think it's interesting to look at and to take the test and, and you know, get some ideas. Okay. The second thing that's a quick, easy way to stop being distracted and to start connecting is to is to disable your notifications. You, I know you've heard this before, but have you done it? Have you? Huh? Huh? I need to know if you've done it. So you have to disable those notifications. <laughs> stop getting alerted so easily. It's like having a plate of brownies on the table. So it would be hard not to eat a brownie just seeing that plate all the time. But if someone was tugging on your sleeve constantly and reminding you about the brownies, <laughs> it'd be impossible not to eat at least one or, or seven if you're me. So, okay, so disable them. Go to the settings on your phone. I'm not going to explain it to you here. Please, you should know how to disable your notifications. If you don't, you can literally Google disable notifications on my smartphone 10 or whatever the hell you have. And I promise it'll show up and it'll be a little YouTube video. It'll be super easy to learn. After you've disabled your notifications, I want you to give yourself a reality check about how much time you're truly spending with your smartphone. And you can do this by downloading. There's really awesome apps that monitor your usage. And again, I'm going to link to these in the show notes. So if you're driving or something, I promise they'll all be in the show notes with the little links so you can get them. But there's like, there's an app called Freedom. There's another one called Moment. There's one called Stay Focused. Uh, there's a Break Free app. And this one actually gives you a daily addiction score. How do you like that? All of these monitor and help you with your cell phone use. So you can, I mean, it's good to get a reality check. How much time do you really spend on there? You might think you're spending a certain amount of time and it's more. It'll even break down, depending on the app, uh, how much time you spend on social media versus other things. So it's just a great thing. And you can program them to get you off, like to give you a little reminder to stop scrolling. <laughs> so can't go better than that. All right. Tip number three. Go old school with your alarm clock. Get your phone out of your bedroom. 
I'm going to tell you that right now. Get out of your bedroom. There are lots of reasons why you should not sleep with your phone. I'm not going to get in all of them, um, but there's lots of reasons. But I will say for starters, using your phone within an hour of bedtime leads to poor sleep quality and more insomnia. Just going to say that. Uh, we know that from the research. So if you're like me and you check your phone, you know, um, well, I don't check my phone every time I wake up in the night. So I shouldn't say if you're like me. If you check your phone when you wake up in the night, uh, your sleep is even more negatively impacted. So I want to say that. So and when you wake up and check your phone before getting out of bed, you're reinforcing that habit for the rest of the day. And so there's just tons of good reasons not to have your phone in your bedroom. And instead, buy a cheap alarm clock and stop sleeping with your phone by your side. You know, and I hear some people they're like, well, that's the only way people can get in contact with me. Then get a landline again. Get over yourself. They're, they have the bundles all the time with Comcast. I do have a landline in my house for this very reason. So there is a home phone number. We don't use it I, pretty much ever. But uh, my kids have been, though, um, punished sometimes. And I take their phone, right? It's a consequence. And so I need to be have a way to reach them when they're in the house. So I, we do have a phone home phone set up. It's, it's fine. It's not a lot of money. And it's not such a big investment when you think about, again, these bundles have them all the time now. Uh, but when you think about how important it is not to have that phone in your bedroom and not to be distracted by that. So get an old school alarm clock. They still exist. Set that, get the phone out and have it somewhere else. All right. Tip number four, success is scheduled. <laughs> so in two ways, I want you to think about this. So number one, you can set up some sort of digital schedule. So that would mean you would assign certain chunks of time throughout the day to go phone free. Um, and you can experiment with leaving your phone at home when you go to dinner, you know, or if you're out with friends, uh, turning your phone off for a couple hours every day at the office so you can work without distraction, leaving your phone in the other room in the evenings, you know, so you can spend more quality time with your partner or kids. This might go for your iPad or whatever else your thing is, but just schedule set up a digital schedule where you really schedule out some of that stuff. It's very helpful, you know, putting the phone away. And then you can also schedule time to talk with your partner if it's something important instead of doing it on the fly. So the second part of the scheduling is scheduling talking with your partner um, so that because when you're on the fly, right, guess what? That's that when that attention residue is there, you're likely suffering from that and you're not fully attending and they're saying something you're like, sure, I have time, but you don't, you're not really focused. But when you schedule a time, it's a little different. So think of that. Okay. And then the last one, which is easy, is to be mindful. It, when the real way out of all this is to be present in your moments and it's and making mindfulness a habit that's that's the real real way uh, and that's what this whole month was about so I'm not going to spend time in this broadcast doing it so there you have there's your top five tips you can download those at abbymedcalf.com forward slash podcast and uh, thank you for sticking with me today I know there's a lot of great ways you can spend your time and the fact that you hang out with me means the world I love it have a great week and uh, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast at www.abbymedcalf.com. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.